Good morning. That is a powerful song. I love it. And so good to see so many of you here this morning. Our early service had more people than normal in it, which I think they thought they were coming to Bible class and didn't know about the time change, but it was great. Had a great service then. Obviously, this is great, and I love that song. It fits so perfectly with the sermon today. Today, we're talking about the idea still of being unbecoming, something that is ugly, something that is not what, what we like, and something certainly that God doesn't like, and that idea of something that is, is what we don't want to be, but sometimes we are. If you have already looked at the bulletin or you have gotten the email during the week, you know that today we are talking about idolatry. And idolatry is anything we cherish more than God. Anything that we would cherish more than Him. And when we talk about God, God tells us in the Old Testament, His name is Yahweh, or literally means I am, and sometimes it's translated as Jehovah. Anything that we love more than the God of this Bible is called idolatry for Christians. So whatever that would be. Now on your screen, you're going to see several different gods. And when I think of the passages about idolatry in the Bible, this is what I think of. I think about gods from the past. For example, we know that Israel worshipped a golden calf at one point. And you remember Moses was really angry about that and upset. And then these are gods throughout the world through different times. And whenever I've heard sermons or, or excuse me, read Bible passages about, about fleeing from idolatry, I always thought, well, that's not really relevant to today because, you know, we don't, we don't worship these things, at least in Western culture, in that way, and so maybe it's not for my audience to talk about some of these things. However, we do know that some people leave God for other things. The people just walk away from God, and whenever you look at the definition of idolatry being anything that we cherish more than God, you know what I'm talking about. Understand, for example, in the, in the United States, back about 10 years ago, the average congregation, not of Churches of Christ, I mean of all different religious groups in America, all Christian groups in America, the average number of people in a church was about 135. Today, it's 65. Now, if the number of churches were just, were just tripling and quadrupling all the time of little churches of 65 people everywhere, we'd say, great. But it's not. People are walking away for something else. They're deciding that they enjoy something else more than they enjoy God. I don't want to get up in the morning. I enjoy my sleep more than, than I enjoy or being in God's kingdom. Or they're saying, oh, you know what? I just, I just travel now. I'm just not a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. I, and, and I don't want those rules. I don't know whatever, whatever it is people say. And they walk away from faith. Now, they may not say they're doing that, but we know in most cases that's what happens with people whenever they don't continue in some kind of relationship with other Christians. And they leave God for other things. And they never would have called it idolatry. They would never say that, or hardly ever. But we realize that's what's happening in one way or another. And even good things can become idols. Even good things. We all have these things in our life that we think about sometimes. We don't call them idols, but they can. I think about different idols. Whenever you think about idolatry, for example, or you think about idols, 
I can even talk behind this. Isn't that crazy? You can hear my voice back here. Here is a good idol for you. How do you like that? Taylor Swift and, and Travis Kelsey there, right? That's what we think of sometimes when we think of idols. But there are other kinds of idols. And one of those idols becomes money, right? Even in the book of Colossians, for example, that lists off different things, it's talking about sexual sin, and then all at once it goes to and greed, which is idolatry. And it's not that we usually start out thinking, oh, money's going to be my big thing, that I'm going to worship money. We usually don't say that, right? But isn't that what happens over time? Oh, I'm sorry that I can't be there. I can't attend, but I got to make money. I'm sorry I can't be involved. I got to make money. I'm sorry. And then all at once we completely fade away. Now, I understand sometimes people have to work on Sundays or they can't be as involved in some activities as before. Or you do something else. That happens. I get that. I'm not trying to say all of those things are wrong. But what I am saying is a lot of us, most of us, get really hung up on money. I like money myself, to tell you the truth. We all like money. Don't deny it. We like it. There was a study that was done probably five or six years ago, and they asked people in all different statuses, those that were the very poorest and those that were the wealthiest, how much money would it take to make you happy? And overall, across the board, from the least to the greatest, is people needed 10% more than they were making right then. They didn't ask me, I need probably 25% more, right? No, I'm just joking. So we all say that, right? We are never settled with what we have. We all want more, and then all at once, this becomes the thing that takes us away from our faith before we even realize it. Our bodies may still even go into a church building like right now, but your mind is on money. Maybe it's right there on your phone, you're thinking about it, you can't get away from it. I remember attending a funeral one time in Houston, and at that funeral, for a godly, godly person that had a business, I happened, I wasn't doing the funeral, I was just sitting in the back, and sitting in the back next to the salesmen that were from the business where this person had been. Did you know that all of those guys that were sitting there were on their phones literally making sales at that moment. And I thought, could you not have given your boss just 30 minutes of undivided attention at his funeral? Could you not stop for just a moment? Now, I don't know all the details, but I tell you, that's what it looked like for sure. Money gets in our way sometimes. Now, there are other things that get in the way as well. Let me see to make sure I can do all this. So here's some other things that get in the way. I'll show you, since this is about to fall off, I'll show you this heart. Now, I'm sorry it's not a red heart. This is the only one I could find, okay? Romance becomes an idol. If only I could find someone, I will be happy. If only I can get married, then I will have exactly what I want. If only I can find that right one, and it becomes our idol. I can't tell you how many times through the years, the more than 30 years I've worked in churches, that there have been folks, wonderful people, they would come, they might be in our singles group, or they might just come alone, and they're, they're great people, and they just 
they just really would love to have someone that loved them back the same, the same way they see other people, and they want that. And finally, they find that, that girl or that guy, and all at once, there, everything's going to be right, and this great Christian couple is going to be part of the congregation. But do you know what happens sometimes? They completely walk away from faith. I don't mean they leave memorial. I mean they leave faith. Because this was their idol. We thought it was Jesus. We thought it was God that they worshipped. But it was about finding romance, is what it was. Now you also see sports down here. Don't misunderstand me. Sports can be great. I spent two hours yelling at the TV yesterday, so it can be great. But when all at once sports has my whole mind, and sports has all of my time, and everything I think about, and that's where my money is, and that's where my time is, and all at once I am forsaking other things that are important. All at once sports can become the idol rather than just the, the thing I enjoy, the hobby I enjoy. Here's a picture actually of my family. It's kind of an art, artistic type thing of my family. I love my family. I would do anything for my family. I want to be with my family. But my family cannot be greater than God. God must be greater than them. And as I have told you before, I used to go through this thing with our girls, and I would always say, who do you love? And they would, they would go through the list, mom, dad, and everyone. And I would say, but who do you love the most? Because I wanted them to say, God. And even though they didn't understand it at the time, always, in case if I go, if I go crazy... I don't want them to follow me. I want them to follow God. I want God to be the one. And I pray that if they go crazy, I don't follow them. I follow God. That God is the one. That He is the one that is the one I worship rather than the idol of family. But probably in all these things, it's this one, isn't it? It's me. It's the mirror that I look at that says, I am my own God. Seven, more than eight billion gods on the face of the earth right now. That I am my own, and the reason I love my family is because it makes me feel good. The reason I love sports is it makes me feel good. The reason I want romance is because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel fulfilled. It makes me feel good about myself. It makes me feel good looking. It makes me feel smart or athletic or whatever it may be. And all of this is generated through our money sometimes. And all at once, we have these gods in our lives that don't look anything like the God, Yahweh. Now, all of these things are good in and of themselves. Go to Astros games, that's great. You know, you can be a Swifty if you want to be, I guess, but I'm not, can you tell? And so you can do all those things. But understand, God is God. The one to worship is God. That one known as Yahweh, that one that sent his son Jesus, that's the one. The Bible even put it this way. Jesus put it this way in what's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Isn't that interesting that he uses the phrase money? 
So when our mind's up here, okay, I got God and I got money, and we usually wouldn't say that, but I, don't, I know I don't want to give God all my money, and then I've got to figure out tax-wise how much money am I going to give to God because really I'm more worried about the tax than I am about God, and so I go back and forth in these things, right? And so sometimes that, that gets us. And sometimes we struggle, sometimes, and, and I'm not saying don't be unwise, maybe that's the best thing for you. I'm not trying to decide for you, except to say put God first in whatever it is. Make sure that God is first, it's not myself. I'm not doing this because I want to somehow gratify myself, but I'm doing it because I want to honor God and give praise to God, and that's why I do what I do, or at least what I should do and how I should be, that I can't serve two things because, because God isn't going to allow that. God says, hey, you're all in on me or you're not in on me at all. One way, or the, one way or the other, are you with me or are you against me? I like the way the book of Romans deals with this. In Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and, or 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this, Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now, we studied the rest of this passage not too long ago, and he is talking about sexual sin and sexual desire in this passage. But in this case, it is as if their sexual desire, their own desire, becomes their idol. It becomes what they are willing to worship. They decide that is bigger and more important than God is. Some of you know what it's like to have a teenager in your house in the, at some time in the past, or, or someone in your house, that has caused you a lot of problems. Maybe you had a child that, oh, I mean, they did everything to push your buttons. And I don't mean in a cute way, I mean in a mean way. They weren't nice, they were frustrating, they, they, they wanted to get into drugs, they wanted to party, they wanted to get into alcohol, all those things. And you said, please don't do that. That is bad for your health, that is bad for our family. I love you, I want you in this house, but please stop. And they don't stop. The next thing you know, there they are out again. They're doing the same thing. It's the drugs again, the alcohol again, the partying again. It's all those things over and over again. You're saying, please stop. And they're saying, no, I want to do all this. And finally, you say, fine. If that is the life you want, get in the car. They say, what? Say, get in the car. And they get in the car with you and you drive across town. And you say, there's your friend's house. You have a nice life. That is not what I wanted for you. I want you in the house. You can come back at any time. But if that is who you are, there you are. I am taking you to your friend's house. I am delivering you over here. I want you to understand what God does here. It is the equivalent of God putting us in the car and delivering us over to our desires. If you do not want to be in my house, if you do not love me above your idolatry, then get in the car. And I'll take you to where you want to be. And it will break my heart. And I will want you back with everything in me. And you better believe just as soon as you show any, any sign of wanting to come back to me, you can. But get in the car. Because you have chosen those things. And so we choose whether we're going to follow God or if we're going to follow these idols of whatever these idols are, whether they be money or sex or power or ourselves or however we put it, entertainment or sports or whatever it is. We choose those things. But what's so incredible is our, idol, our idols don't provide everlasting love. They can't do that. Our idols, they don't care. 
Those drugs, they don't care about us. Those people on TV don't care about us, really, do they? You know, one thing in our house that's always funny, Barbara always mutes the commercials, and I always like to watch the commercials. I always find them really interesting. I think they're kind of fun. It's the best part of the show sometimes, to me, are the commercials. Well, you know what the commercials want? They want your money and my money. And what's so important for the commercial is that if they don't get your money, they go out of business. So, wow, they love you as long as you have money. But as soon as you're out of money, they don't want you anymore, right? Because that's what you're good for, is to get your money from you, right? Well, our idols, they can't provide any everlasting love. Drugs can't provide you any love. Sex can't provide you any love. The power can't provide you any everlasting love. Those things make big promises, but in the end, they're nothing. In the end, they give us nothing at all. When Jonah was in the bottom of, of a big fish in the bottom of the sea, he writes this in Jonah 2, verse 8. He says, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. When God would do anything at all for us, and we say, you know what? I'd rather have it my way. I know what you give me is forever. I know what you give me is eternal. I know it's pure, it's wonderful, it's lovely, it's pleasurable, it's everything. But you know what? I'd rather do it my way instead. And we give up what God has wanted for, for us all along. Now here's one that I've shared before, but God is jealous. And when I was a kid, I went to a church camp one week when I was nine years old, and it was all about God being jealous, and I did not understand a word of that camp. I thought it was the strangest thing I'd ever been to because I knew jealousy is a bad thing. My mother would say, don't be jealous. We would tell other people, don't be jealous. We read it in the Bible, don't be jealous. And then we have this camp that God is jealous. Now, I'm a very visual learner, and PowerPoint really helps me. And in those days, we had no PowerPoint. So I never figured it out. All I knew was I was confused. But this is the good type of jealousy. This is what you want. So this morning, if whenever we have the closing prayer and you go out into the foyer, and if you were out there, for those of you who are married or dating and your spouse or your, your significant other was standing across the, the foyer and all at once you saw a person come up to them and, and touched them in a way that just felt kind of weird and then they leaned over and, and kissed your spouse on the mouth, you would go marching over there, wouldn't you? You'd say, get back, buster. You'd go right over there to them, wouldn't you? You'd say, you are not going to do that. What in the world do you think you're doing kissing my wife or kissing my husband? Who are you? Or after the service, if you were standing around visiting in the foyer and you saw your little child who's four or five or six years old, a person you didn't know grab their hand and start walking toward the, the parking lot with them, you would go running toward them as fast as you could. You would call the officer, and you would go over there, and you would let them have it, and we would call the police, and you would be so upset. How in the world could this happen? Do you know why? Because you are jealous in a good way for your child, and you are jealous in a good way for your spouse or your significant other. That is the good type of jealousy. That is what it should be. But then I think of the way Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 put it all the way back in the Old Testament, where it says, Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you, and, and, and don't make an idol for yourselves in the shape of anything he has forbidden you. 
For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. Understand, he is not jealous in a mean way. He is jealous in a way that he loves you so much that he does not want you to go off to some idol somewhere. He doesn't want you to worship yourself. He doesn't want you to worship money. He doesn't want you to worship one of those gods that we had the pictures of. He doesn't want you to worship anything other than himself because he has this relationship with us. He wants us to be with him. And for some of us who have a poor self-esteem sometimes, which is probably every single one of us if we would admit it, I want you to hear these words. God wants me. He really wants me. If you feel like the world has beat you up, if you have been, if you have been had people say bad things about you, if you've lost your job, if you've had a person you've loved walk out on you, if you have never found the love that you, that you dreamed of having and always thought you would have, if you have been forgotten, abused, if you have had people say terrible things about you to your face and you feel like you're nothing, God really wants you. You are not forgotten. God wants every single person on this planet, and he wants every single person in this auditorium and every single person watching online. And you say, okay, well, if God wants me, then, then, then how, do, how do I stay faithful to him? Because I want to be faithful to God, but all these other things get in the way. I get involved at work and I forget who I am. I get involved reading and forget who I am. I see pictures and forget who I am. And all these things. How do I stay faithful to God? Well, let me tell you, I must choose to make a decision to follow God every single day. This is not something one time you decide and then it's over. Sometimes people will even say, when did you make your decision? I don't know if you've ever heard that before. They'll be talking about becoming a Christian. And they'll say, well, I decided in January 14th, 2008. Well, that's great. That was your decision, so to speak. Maybe you were baptized into Christ on that day. But it's not a one-time decision. It is every day. It is standing in front of every temptation that we decide to follow Jesus. And sometimes we mess up and sometimes we don't follow. But then we repent and we come back to God. It is every day, over and over, that we decide. As, as, it, as Jesus said in the book of Luke, he says that we carry our cross daily. What he's saying is you're going to choose every day to do this, not just once in a while. I love the way 1 Thessalonians verse 1, chapter 1, verse 9 puts it where Paul says, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. Now listen to this part. How you turn to God from idols to serve the loving and true God. Do you see this part, how you turned? When you turn, you are making a decision. You are deciding, I am not going that way, I am going this way. You are making a decision to follow God that I am not going to let money or fame or sports or entertainment or whatever else get in my way. This is what makes God so incredible and so wonderful. God will take care of me. God is going to take care of me when other things can't. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, puts it in such a beautiful way. Cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. In the end, sports don't care for us. 
Entertainment doesn't care for us. Money doesn't care for us. None of those things care for us. God cares for us. This week, if you have scriptures that you meditate on, these are two good scriptures I'm about to give you. They're all good, but these are two that are relevant to what we're talking about today that I just want you to see the nature of God and who God is. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The intent of God is to save us. The idols don't care, but the intent of God is for us to live with him forever. The intent of God is to, to keep us from hell and keep us with him. And then in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, he says also, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Entertainment does not supply all of our needs. It supplies some needs, but not all of our needs. Our family supplies some needs, but not all of our needs. I can't supply all of my needs. Romance doesn't supply all of my needs. Even the Astros don't supply all of my needs. I expected a World Series championship this year. That doesn't supply all my needs, right? The only thing that supplies all my needs is God. So my question for us today is, will I worship the Creator not the thing, not the money, not the entertainment, not the other things, but the creator and the sustainer and the savior and the hope. None of these gods that we have invented are any of these things. None of them are the creator, none are the sustainer, none are the savior, and none are the hope. You know, one of the most wealthy people to have ever lived, lived in Houston, Howard Hughes. And I don't, I'm not here to talk about where they were spiritually because I don't know. He did have roots through his grandfather in Churches of Christ, though, who was a preacher. He was one of the wealthiest men of all time. And you know, at the end, he did not answer to his money. He did not answer to Hollywood where he had made a lot of his money. And he didn't answer to the airline industry where he had made his money. And he didn't answer to Wall Street. He answers to God. And then I think about Chadwick Boseman, who, who was Black Panther. When he died, he didn't answer to the people of Wakanda, right? He didn't answer to his fans. He answers to God. When Matthew Perry died the other day, he won't answer to the cast of friends. He won't answer to the fans. He won't answer to the money. He won't answer to the struggles that he supposedly has overcome. He won't answer to any of those things. He will answer to God. God is the one to be worshipped. God is the one to be praised. In the end, it comes down to God. And what I pray is, I pray that this isn't, oh, you see this is, you better worship God or else. There is some of that. But I want you to understand that he loves us. He wants us just like a parent, a loving parent, wants a child, but even deeper. 
He wants us with everything in Him. But He gives us the choice. Well, I want Him. He lets us decide. Well, I follow Him. And maybe today you're saying, yes, I will. I want to be baptized. You just tell me what to do. I'm repenting right now in my seat. I'm repenting, and I want to follow Jesus. And, and if you tell me to be baptized, I'm going to be baptized in Him. I'm going to be immersed in Him. I want my sins washed away. I want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I, I want to be in His kingdom. Yes, I will do that right now. Let me do it. You can. You can walk down here as soon as I stop, and you can be, you can, you can be baptized into Jesus. You say, oh. I need the prayers of everybody in this room because I am a mess. Everybody's going to pray for you if, you, if that's what you want. You can write to us at elders at mcoc.org. Make that public or private. They'll pray for you. And if you want it public, they'll, they'll let other people pray for you. But we want to be right with God. We want God to be above all things. That is what is becoming. Come this morning as we stand and sing.